0: All right, everybody. Welcome to this episode of OTA Aspirations. My guest today was Brittany Peterson. She is one of my professors at Idaho State University. Um, She is also a certified brain specialist. I think that's what it's called. We talk about it on the podcast, but she is also a world-class runner Um, and just just a fascinating person, great professor, and very articulate Um, I will get into my interview with her right after this ad break. All right. This, uh, this week we actually have a local Pocatello company, uh, as a sponsor, um, Pocatello running company. They are the area's only run specialty shop with a focus on the individual needs of runners and walkers. This includes, uh, shoe fittings that are intent on finding you the perfect soulmate. Get it? Soul? Soulmate? <laughs> Anyways, uh, they have apparel and accessories and nutrition for all of your running and fitness goals. You can find them at 328 West Clark Street in Pocatello, Idaho, or online at runpoky.com. R-U-N-P-O-K-Y dot You can also call them at 208-233-4955. I really appreciate Pocatello Running Company sponsoring this episode of the podcast. All right, everybody, today we have uh Brittany Peterson on the podcast. Um, thank you. Yeah, for doing thanks this. for having me. Of course. Um, before we get started, I want to talk about something that not really related to OT. It's more about kind of your other job.
1: Oh. Your running <laughs> job. Can, oh yeah. Can
0: we talk about that? Sure. So how did you get started with that and
1: I just, what is it exactly I mean I've been a runner my whole life so just kind of a passion that turned into doing pretty well which led into um, performances that gained some attention and getting eventually got sponsored by Nike and nice. now I just have opportunities to kind of travel the world and compete and just challenge myself
0: and what's the most recent one that you've done
1: Well, with everything going on in the world right now, everything has been canceled. So actually just this last weekend was supposed to be the Western States 100, which is a pretty big hundred mile race, um, just throughout the whole world. So I, I was second there last year, so it would have been a pretty awesome thing to return. Um, but that was canceled months ago. So kind of instead I had planned, um, taking the opportunity to go to my hometown see my family which led to doing a fkt which is a fastest known time so we just ran a 300 mile stint from uh along the north shore of lake superior so that was kind of Holy my pseudo smokes. race but yeah <laughs>
0: i can't even run like a mile without yeah. being out of breath so good on you yeah yeah and so um, you just started like, oh, I just like running. And then someone was like, she's really good at this. Let's get her a sponsorship or like. I
1: mean, I ran in college. I ran D3. So not anything fantastic. I had a lot of injuries. So really.
0: What's D3? I, I have no idea. So but,
1: D3, division three. So like division oh, okay. one is your, you know, stuff that's on ESPN yeah, yeah, sports. Yeah. Where division three is no scholarships or minimal scholarships. Oh, okay. Like generally lower level athletics. Um, so, so really I wasn't anything super standout in college and then kind of found the mountains and really just tapped into greater potential.
0: Now this isn't just like regular running like you're, you're doing like rugged terrain.
1: Yes. So that's, that's where I think there's so many different types of ultra running where, um, I've kind of specialized in shorter distances, but really technical terrain and like a lot of vertical gain. So like training here in Idaho, going up to the mountainous regions and summiting peaks and all of that stuff is kind of complementary to the type of races I do. But then I've kind of ventured a little bit more into like longer distances where it's less technical and the hundred mile races, the multi-day races, stuff like that. So there's a lot of different avenues you can go into.
0: That's cool. So all you division three athletes out there. Yeah. You there. can make it. You Absolutely. can make it to the big time. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on all yeah. of that. Thank and you. I think that that is at least to me, that's like a really cool thing that I can tell all like mm. all my friends about like, oh yeah, so my teachers are not just normal people.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: There's one who's actually like a world-class athlete. But,
1: and I think the cool thing I mean is you can still have a professional life and a career but things that I've learned along the way, and things that I try to pass on to my students, is having good life balance because mm, life mm-hmm. is too short to just be working and burning out. And especially in a healthcare field, um, there's just so much burden on yourself if you don't take care of yourself. Where having that life balance is super important. And I feel like my job and my boss, um, they really support that side of me having that. That other professional life as a runner, which is pretty cool.
0: That is cool. So let's, let's jump over to um, your professional life as an occupational therapist. So how did that, where did you start? Well, uh, let's go back even further. Where did you grow up?
1: So I grew up in Northern Minnesota and then went to the college of St. Scholastica in Duluth, Minnesota, um, where they had I mean, I I chose it because they had ice cream in the cafeteria and (laughs) a good cross country team that kind of fit my needs as well as their health science college. So they had a good master's program and actually it was a three plus two program for me where I was able to my senior year my fourth year of college was actually piggybacked with my first year of grad school so i was able to finish with my master's in five and a half years
0: it's a little bit more condensed you Mm -hmm. don't have to do four years bachelor two years master
1: yep so i knew you know in high school i wanted to be an occupational therapist based on a report i did in ninth grade or something (laughs) i knew i knew a lot about physical therapy i wasn't sure if that totally fit me I did this report and looked into what occupational therapy was, and I thought that that suited my personality and just kind of the holistic viewpoint of people um, better and Mm kind of didn't look back.
0: Cool. So you knew from that from like that ninth grade report that like this is really yeah. something I want to do.
1: Which was kind of funny because I actually had a rotation so we'll be talking about field work and I actually had my first level one field work was in an outpatient setting physical disabilities and that was the first time I questioned being an occupational therapist because it really wasn't that great of a rotation. Mm, really, um, Which not that the actual learning process wasn't that great but there was different things about that rotation that set me up, you know, like, for example, my, my fieldwork educator never really introduced me to my, the patients, you know, mm, so I was yeah, this, this shadow. And yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm more introverted by nature. So I struggled in that rotation cause I was uncomfortable. I wasn't jumping out there to like talk to these people. Cause I never really got a good introduction on why this weirdo was sitting with, <laughs> with the mm, therapist. Yeah, yeah, agree, um, yeah. so I got the feedback on how like I needed to work on, you know, being more comfortable around people and blah, 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 you know, where Mm -hmm. that kind of left like, oh my gosh, this is not for me. You know, after my first year of grad school, that was the first time I questioned being an occupational therapist, which then drove me in the path of maybe I'll be a good mental health therapist. This is not for me, Um, which is super funny because then when I got to my level two rotations, I absolutely loved and thrived in my my FISDIS rotation and then my whole career has basically been in FISDIS where it hmm. just it made me pretty passionate as far as me having students and now me in my role as the clinical ed- or the academic fieldwork coordinator of really trying to set up those first initial moments of the students experience with that fieldwork educator and, and actually um, trying to start off on the right foot because that can make a huge difference for somebody
0: yeah well my I've done our first level ones Mm -hmm. and both of them have been amazing and so and I think a lot of that's thanks to you a lot of that is thanks to the fieldwork educators that you find yeah yeah and I think me and Caitlin were even the first ones we're kind of guinea pigs for this last one and it was it was fantastic so
1: and I think I mean you're gonna find that everywhere of people that love to teach and really thrive with students and then maybe people that either have never done it or maybe don't rise to that occasion or just don't maybe they never had that experience of what it's like to just kind of be Mm -hmm. left in a corner um yeah so i'm i'm happy to hear that especially with that brand new one that that went so well because it it you don't always get to choose, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and there's differences in personality, especially mm-hmm. especially when you have someone who's brand new, who di- really doesn't know anything going in and then yeah, trying to, like, fill them in and, and do therapies. So, but, yeah, but both of mine have been great. So um, we kind of talked about what uh, brought you to where. Well, what brought you to Idaho?
1: So, actually, my um, first level two for school was at... St. Alphonsus in Boise. Mm. Um, So that brought me to Idaho. And then I kind of joked that I fell in love with the mountains and then came back after I finished my second level two and then got my first job. So actually, you know, Minnesota native went to school in Minnesota. I've never held an occupational therapist license in Minnesota. (laughs) I just moved right to Idaho and I've been practicing here ever since.
0: So your program didn't have you I mean, that's a pretty far jump to go from Minnesota to Idaho to do field work. Mm -hmm. Was there some reason for that or was it just like, here's what's available?
1: Um, So we were a pretty established program, so they had contracts all over. So I just remember I had a, you know, kind of similar to what I do for you guys Mm -hmm. of having the selection numbers of here's how I prioritize who gets what site. Um, my selection number we had 32 in our class and I don't remember where I was but I was towards the bottom and I had wanted to go to Colorado I knew Mm, that I mm -hmm. probably wouldn't get to you know be in the kind of the hot spots in Duluth Minnesota and I was taking advantage of being young and single and being able to go and see different parts of Mm -hmm. the world so or not I guess the country um and for some reason, I thought, oh, all of my classmates want to go to Colorado, which I don't know if anyone actually did. <laughs> but one of my classmates had a cousin in Boise, um, and he told me, like, oh, that's such a cool city, like, you should go there. And I found the contract that we had with St. Al's and then decided to go to St. Al's.
0: That's great. That's yeah. awesome.
1: And actually, I mean, so I did my first three months in Boise, had a, like two weeks in between Went back to Minnesota, and then I did my second rotation in Frederick, Maryland. So I hit the West Coast, and then oh, I hit yeah. the East You've Coast. Oh, yeah,
0: you went all over. hmm Wow. Cool. Well, um, I got to say, I think your experience with fieldwork, not only from like your own, but it's really translated across to being the fieldwork coordinator for this program. I It's seriously been just like very seamless, and a lot of that is thanks to you and um, Joanne, you know, getting getting the whole thing coordinated i had her on last and yeah i mean it's a great program especially for being this young i mean yeah. i think we're the third cohort yes. third or fourth yep third and i mean it feels like it's pretty well established there's not really any i mean the covid thing kind of <laughs> yeah. threw a wrench in the gears but yeah other I than that it's been pretty smooth and
1: i think we have great local support um and growing contracts throughout the state of Idaho, throughout Utah, kind of our, our partner region areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's definitely a goal of mine is to keep expanding so that, you know, students like yourself, when they say, I want to go to Indianapolis, yeah, you know, to, to have those contracts and to um, be able to foster those opportunities for the students like myself that, you know, kind of get that taste of, I want to go see somewhere else cause I can. Yeah. Um, and I think from an education standpoint, that's important too, because I know like for my program in Duluth, Minnesota, that it's a small community where a lot of the hospitals and clinics right in Duluth are all led by graduates from my program.
0: You mm. know, so same mm-hmm. thing
1: here in Eastern Idaho, you're getting taught by graduates from the master's program or or previous graduates from our program, which is great, you know, but at the same time getting a clinician from a whole different program and maybe that program had a different emphasis area or different perspectives or just, I mean, a different lens on things. I think that is helpful to broaden your education. And so I think having those opportunities outside of our area is important but being on the other side of coordinating it, there's certainly challenges of I tend to so far anyway, I tend to look for bigger systems and things like that, because I want you guys to get into the, you know, the the best places that you're going to see yeah. the most things mm-hmm. there. Um, but a lot of those hospital systems already have so many contracts and maybe they're not as willing to add another contract or depending on if they employ OT assistants um, you know, maybe they're less likely to look into adding a contract for a school. That's an occupational therapy assistant program. So so there's different hangups that make that kind of challenging, but that's definitely a goal of mine is to get more of those contracts outside of our area.
0: See, now you weren't here when the, when this program started, is that correct? Nope. When, when were you hired on?
1: They went through the first cohort. So the person in the position before me was there for two years and maybe some on the front side of it with all the planning and preparation before the program came alive. Um, So she ended up getting a lot of the kind of foundational contracts, piggybacking off of the PTA program, piggybacking off of the master's OT program, looking into some sites that would just easily add an addendum to add our program Mm, to their existing Mm -hmm. contract so I think that was and that was a requirement per our accreditation um, to have sufficient contracts so then I came in at the start of the second cohort so she had been there for about two years and then I've been here ever since and that's been definitely a part of my position is expanding contracts so I don't know the numbers exactly but I know right now like I'm up to almost or just over a hundred contracts oh wow yeah so that's been something the nice thing is is I am working with the field work coordinator for the PTA program and I'm collaborating with the master's program and the speech therapy program Mm, and the PT program because they're we're all needing contracts yeah and those bigger programs or I guess more the, the programs that have been around a lot longer, they have so many con contracts and we can just make an addendum to add our program to that existing contract, mm, which yeah, makes it easy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize there would be so many. Cause I thought, you know, I, a cohort of 20 people just, you know, in our OTA program, I'm not sure what it is in PTA, but a similar number, 26, yeah. 26, mm-hmm. it, you know, I thought they'd have, we'd have 30 contracts maybe to cover everybody, but, yeah. but allow a hundred, <laughs> that's, I didn't yeah, think there would be I mean, that many.
1: I think what I'm running into now, because I just recently started looking at level twos again for your upcoming class. Yeah. Um, th- the thing that I really have to be mindful of is not overburdening our close partners. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Where I know a lot of our students want to stay in this area. And fortunately right now, a lot of our kind of close Um, partners in the community are super willing to have students. But as a clinician, you know, I've been a clinician for 10 years before I got into this side of my job. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, having students over and over and over can be really tiring and can just add an extra complication to your work life that, you know, you want to balance that. So fortunately our, our rotations are only January through May but if we start looking every January through May, and then we throw on top of it the master's OT program, mm-hmm. you know, where they're probably sending students to these same sites, um, there's a lot to consider. Of, you know, are am I overburdening those clinicians, or are there seats available? Because if I didn't get to it first, maybe the master's program already sent a student, and that site can only accommodate one yeah. student. Mm-hmm. So really having, you could probably never have too many contracts.
0: <laughs> well, uh, we appreciate you doing what you're doing for like, for real. It's, it's really nice to have, have more options, oh, you know, yeah. And, yeah. And I feel like I've, at least in my, in my case, and we need to talk about it after the podcast, like mm-hmm. certain situation, but, um, it's nice that I can be like, Hey, I'd really like to go here. And you're like, well, let me see what I can, what I can do instead of being like, well, we don't have a contract, so too right. bad, you know? Yeah. So yeah. it's nice to have those options. Um, now tell me, so you transitioned from being like a full-time clinician to working, uh, are you working PRN and you're a full-time yeah, I mean, educator so, now? Yep. Or?
1: So I'm full-time in my position here in academics um, and then for relevancy, I'm still PRN with a home health agency. Hmm. Um, you know, preferably I would like to be PRN for neuro population. Cause that's kind of been my area of work, but it has been kind of fun to just broaden. You know, I've been seeing pediatrics and I'll get different, I mean, um, different diagnoses within mm-hmm. home health. So you can kind of see a whole lot. So so really I'm, I'm trying to keep that minimal, just there's a lot going on in my life where one full-time job is enough yeah, <laughs> plus, yeah. plus a second of running. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is important to me to still kind of stay relevant in my field and keep my hands in practice for sure.
0: Now tell me about, so you are a neurospecialist. Yes. H- how did that, how did you get involved in that? What's like, what, did, what was the process to get that?
1: Yeah, so I worked at St. Luke's in Boise, um, specializing in inpatient and outpatient neuro rehab, so focusing on brain injury and stroke, um, and some spinal cord, but more so brain injury and stroke. Um, so at the time that I was there, I was actually the lead therapist for the neuro team, um, and so we were looking at different program development and and opportunities for our staff to become The experts in neuro rehab and we actually had a clinician or several clinicians that already had this certification. It's CBIS or Certified Brain Injury Specialist. And so one of our program directors actually was a proctor. She was higher up in this certification where she could administer this exam for other clinicians to take the exam to become a certified brain injury Mm. specialist
0: right there where you're working yeah
1: so it was really fortunate that one we had kind of higher up people that were in support of that certification and then we had that resource right in our department Um, but then you know just in the direction that I was at and things like that I think when I took my exam there was maybe five or six of us that took the exam at the same time so we did our study sessions together and just prioritize that. And then actually now, like just talking back to some of the other clinicians, um, that still work at St. Luke's. I know another round of people just went through it. So it's still a relevant, important certification that just kind of, I mean, the, if I remember right, I mean, the topics were just more intensive on specific injuries and lobes of the brain and different things that we've covered in neuro, um, in our coursework. But then other things, too, on how to care for those p- patients. So I remember sections being on, like, family education and the grieving process and how we're giving them education. So it gives you a well-rounded approach to working with someone and helping someone with a neurological impairment. But this certification is not only for clinicians. I think family members and caregivers can get these certifications, too. So oh, it wow. is It is a broad mm-hmm overview of information that just, I mean, it, it is what it says, like makes you more of a specialist in being able to treat and understand and help people that have suffered a, some type of brain injury.
0: That's awesome. Uh, um, now it could like a PT get the same, sp- yep. like yep. the same thing. So you, yep. it's not just specifically OTs. That's no. what makes it like you said, it's very broad. Yes. Okay, cool. Um, What's the, what are your next steps? Are you going to, do you think you'll stay as an educator and be PRN or what's on the horizon, you know, like say 10 years down the road or.
1: It's kind of funny. I mean, I think, I mean, the, the experience I had in neuro rehab was so valuable and has really just catapulted my career, Mm -hmm. um, but also led me into just personal conflicts of, you know, not managing my emotional, you know, well being mm-hmm. and things like that, where I think when I moved away from St. Luke's, I needed a better delineation between work life and and personal life. And mm. and that had been kind of my goal um, moving forward. And I, I struggled with that initially in Pocatello because I was working an outpatient and not setting good boundaries. So I was working at all times of the day to help accommodate other people's Mm, schedules because a lot of us therapists are givers. Yeah. You know, we want to help people and it's our responsibility, you know, where we kind of sacrifice ourselves for our patients at times. So I feel like here being out of patient care, but still really feeling like I'm touching a whole lot of patient care because I'm impacting the next generation of educators coming out. It still gives me that satisfaction that I had when I was directly working and helping with people. So I feel like um, where I'm at right now is such a good fit because it allows the balance that I need but then it gives me the satisfaction of helping the next generation of therapists. And I'm pretty passionate about being a good therapist. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I feel like I can impact those students in that way to then go out and be good clinicians and make all of those good impacts for all of those patients that they're going to touch. Um, that I feel like this is a place that kind of really fits why I became a therapist, but then complements the life that I have right now. Yeah. someday, I mean, I always say I don't really want to live in a big city, and that's the main hiccup for this. But <laughs> I, in when I was at St. Luke's, I had a couple of pediatric neurological patients, so they had brain tumors, um, mm, yeah. things like that, at like ten years old, or an anoxic brain injury, twelve years old, where that population just really was near and dear to my heart. And I feel like I'm suited well because I don't take a lot of that home.
0: Mm, I remember I had mm -hmm. a new
1: therapist (laughs) shadowing me when I was with this, this unfortunate little girl that had an anoxic brain injury and was essentially a quadriplegic and had so many limitations and none of that was her fault. And I remember that new grad therapist, who's like, how do you do it? Like I'm going home at night and I'm just like crying. Because it's such a sad case, but I feel like I have a good, I can set those boundaries of looking at the positives and not get caught up in like how sad the whole situation is, but really look at how I'm impacting and helping an unfortunate situation. But anyway, wrong, long story short, um, my my dream job really is pediatric oncology, um, but that's very specialized and I'd have yeah. to live in a big city and I just don't know if I want to. <laughs>
0: I hear you, not living in a big city. Yeah. I grew up in a town of about 1,500 right, people. Right, Some people would think that's crazy, but it's there's lots of benefits to living in a small town. Yes. Um, I want to go back to um, work and life, or work-life and or balance. How do you think, I mean, I know for each person it's very different. You know, some people I think can probably work 60 hours a week and they're totally fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, how would you, like, what advice would you give to someone if they're having a hard time finding that balance?
1: I mean, I think it's, it's really standing up for yourself. Like, I think we're, we're in a tricky part, right. Of just the world right now of, you know, insurance limitations and pay and trying to make that margin as high as we can. Cause things are, you know, healthcare is a business, mm-hmm. um, and I think the poor therapists kind of get lost in that sometimes of do more with less. So I think I think that's one thing for sure is, you know, especially as a new grad advocating for yourself, you know, documentation is going to take longer. You're a new graduate therapist. You do not have everything figured out yet your documentation will take you longer, Mm -hmm. you know? So if your employer is willing and if you're advocating for yourself of I'm, you know, I want to do a good job and I want to be in this career for a long time, you know, however I'm staying hours late at night because I can't keep up with my paperwork. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. a good employer should be receptive to that of either pairing you with a mentor of how can you, what are some tips and tricks that you can get to kind of catch up, you know, by using those experienced therapists that have been through this whole process. But I think also, I mean, at St. Luke's, they did a really good job because, you know, our new grad therapists would get extra documentation time. They would We would pair them with a mentor therapist, you know, to really mm-hmm. foster mm-hmm. and help that person ease into what is going to be a strenuous job until they can kind of get into a rhythm and start figuring things out on their um, their own to have better time management and then be able to keep that work-life balance. But I think that, I mean, it really just comes down to communication and knowing yourself, too, of, you know, I'm talking to some friends of mine, you know, where anxiety has become an issue and, and you know, this, this, um, the stress at a job, you know, no matter what population you're in, can become overwhelming where, what are you doing in your personal life? You know, are you practicing meditation? Are you getting time to exercise? Are you having family time? Are you having family, you know, marital relationship problems that that is important to take care of? You know, mm-hmm. I think, I think it's really Like, for me, at the end of my career at St. Luke's, I was doing way too much and just bulldozing through. Like, I can do this. I can take all of this on. I'll take on all of my patients' needs. I'll take my family's needs. I'll work PRN. I'll train. I can do all of this stuff. And I I couldn't. I broke. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) You know, and that that was a really eye-opening situation where I was just ignoring everything. And fortunately, I was able to come out of that. But, I mean, I have friends right now that have developed autoimmune diseases or have crippling anxiety and things like that. Because those things in this world we're in, no matter what, this is a little bit of my soapbox. No, please. That's what this is for. No matter what, you know, job you have, I think there's going to be problems everywhere. But I think that's just kind of the world we're in right now. And as therapists, I think most of us are you know, empaths that we wear our heart on our sleeves and we want to help people and we compromise ourselves in the meantime. So being aware of that is really mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, that's great advice. I that's this is something I haven't really brought up in any other podcast, but it kind of came up really nicely here.
1: Yeah. So. And I think, I mean, that's something with what we do in our coursework of generic abilities. I mean, I look back at myself on like, oh, I needed straight A's in class. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I'm taking some classes now where I'm I'm practicing what I preach of, you know what? I missed that deadline. Oops. Like, OK, I'm going to get some points docked off. It's not the end of the world. I still did a good job. My grade is going to be fine. I don't need to be a perfectionist over this. Yeah. You know, so I think it starts in the classroom of figuring out not to not just not put your full effort into things but but to really look look at where can I let go where can I not try to kill myself over was this absolutely perfect or did I have to respect what else was going on
0: no now that would lead me into um future OTAs absolutely what advice would you give to someone who's looking to apply or looking at this as as a career what advice would you give to them
1: Uh, I mean, I think I think some of what I just said as far as just know yourself and and figure out how to set boundaries for yourself. You know, if I could go back to my outpatient job or if I ever did end up in an outpatient situation where I was setting my own schedule, I would have to be better about these are my hours and my life is important, too. I'm not going to bend over to accommodate everything you know, because I have to have my time too. So I think, you know, being in a caring profession, you know, and and knowing your personality, and that's probably what leads you to that caring profession, but also just have that, have that kind of watchdog in place of, am I compromising my own self for my career, for caring for others, and And, and sometimes the pendulum may swing a little heavy that way, but then maybe other times like, all right, I've, I saved up my PTO. I'm taking a two week vacation, you know, Mm and I'm going to swing the pendulum the other way to kind of make up for that. So I think it's, it's trying to find balance, um, where we're doing a good job and helping others, but still caring for ourselves. And that's where I think too, like, you know, all the things that we hear about of meditation and exercise and you know, just making sure that we have some of those things in place. And some of us need it a little bit more and others don't need it as much. Um, so knowing ourselves mm-hmm. in that regard.
0: Well, that's great advice. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think is the best way for a person to get ready to apply for this program for or any OTA program?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I think, I mean, being in as the fieldwork coordinator, I always think about, like, there's not enough fieldwork. You know, I mean, we... I don't want to add more, you know, but, but I think back to my own experiences is I have, I have still never really seen pediatrics because I didn't do any shadowing in pediatrics. Um, I didn't do, I, well, okay. I had a level one, but they were pretty non-traditional. So I helped a a girl that English was her second language. So I helped her in her classroom with Mm. reading and writing. You know, so that was one of my level one field works that was about a of week time. long. Right, well, it for... was. So this one was set up where it was short bouts of time, but it was through the whole semester. So I'd go oh, like okay. an hour okay. to a week throughout the whole semester.
0: Still, barely getting a taste. Yeah, really.
1: Absolutely. Like it was not yeah. pediatrics. <laughs> it was barely a taste of just what maybe we could do. I mean, yeah. I've never seen. We did have an on-campus pediatric clinic, which was very, very helpful. My mm. patient was 12 and taller than me. You know, <laughs> so I kind of joke like other classmates were like pushing babies on a swing and, you know, like they had a little toddler or whatever. And I had a girl that was taller than me. And, like, <laughs> you know, we could have been peers practically, you know, so I've just never been destined to be in pediatrics but now as a practicing clinician in home health, especially I'm getting a bunch of pediatrics. Mm-hmm. And then as the academic fieldwork coordinator, when I'm doing site visits, I'm seeing pediatrics mm-hmm. in a more traditional clinic and it looks pretty fun, but I have minimal experience with it. Yeah. So really if I could go back or if I could influence somebody else, I would say get as broad of an experience as you can. And your shadowing hours is only going to strengthen one, your resume and your application, um, but two, just your ability to take that information and really be that sponge once you're in the program to get all of that information because you just never know what direction your career will take you. Yeah, I mean, I didn't anticipate ever working in pediatrics, and here I just told you my dream job is pediatric oncology. Yeah, yeah. You know, like years and years later. So I think getting that broad experience and once you're in your field work um, you know it's not a perfect system this is again where I try to be you know I'm a perfectionist and I want every single student to come out where they've seen a little bit of mental health they've seen a little bit of pediatrics they've seen phys dis, but sometimes especially like right now with COVID I mean I had to set aside and it's like well you got pediatrics and mental health, but you had no phys dis rotation or, you know, like you had minimal hands-on transfers Mm, because you were working in an outpatient clinic and a peds clinic, you know, you're missing a big hole that that's just the reality of you're going to come out of your field work, not having seen everything. And that's where your shadowing hours can at least supplement some. And then gosh, a student could, you know, we had someone in the cohort above you That she was shadowing with home health on her own, you know, set it up on her own with our adjunct faculty and was getting some extra observation hours because she didn't she had interest in home health, but she knew her her level twos weren't going to accommodate her seeing that Mm, setting. So I think finding those opportunities and chasing it because once you start working, it's you're hitting the ground running and yeah. you don't get those opportunities again.
0: Well, that's me and Shannon talked about the same thing as uh, that would be the advice that we give is yeah. like shadow as much as you can yeah. and as broadly as you can. Exactly. Um, another thing uh, you just talked about, I escapes me now. Anyways, we'll come back to it, mm. but, um, well I guess is, is there anything else that you, that you want to cover or anything else that you would, this is really geared towards people who are preparing to get into OTA school who maybe have already applied, um, or are looking to apply that. That's kind of my audience. And then, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, just with the whole fieldwork role is talk to your academic fieldwork coordinator and it's okay to not know what you want to do I mean most like I had to choose my level twos and like halfway through the first semester and I think I kind of make my students do the same thing of you know it's so early in the process but it's this evolving thing so I think it's don't necessarily close any doors to anything keep an Mm -hmm. open mind and then just keeping close communication because things can change I mean every I, I don't like this about my job, but like <laughs> sites can cancel things, yeah. you know, you could have a pandemic in the middle of your mm, your rotations that. That'll never you know, happen. and everything falls apart <laughs> where it's never too late. Well, I mean, sometimes it can be too late, but, but if, you know, if you were to decide like, oh my gosh, I just saw a taste of lymphedema and I had no idea. And it's the third semester of four semesters in our program, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, Too late to talk to me and say you know like hey i really have this interest what are you looking at for my level twos and maybe there would be something i could do because right now you know i essentially the way i do this is i secure sites i have an idea of who's in that site but then you know it's like a little puzzle where this puzzle piece fell out because they needed something else at one time so now i have an availability and i shuffle someone else Mm. into that puzzle piece um, so there's things that can move around sometimes. I mean, obviously that's not
0: yeah, to a point. Yeah. Can yeah. I mean, around, it, within of
1: reason, of course, cause I can't just redo everything the week before your level yeah, two, yeah. um, you know, but there, it is kind of this moving target where if you all of a sudden figure out you're passionate about something, you know, maybe you're there, you're in a site that I could talk to them and you could have exposure to this, different thing within that site or, you know, whatever. I think yeah. there's a lot of, a lot mm-hmm. of potential that as you evolve in your kind of hopes and dreams for what your career is going to look like, you know, I can try to manipulate your fieldwork experiences into that, but ultimately I'm still looking for your fieldwork experiences in general to be as broad as possible. Yeah. And actually I just did a site visit with somebody yesterday and he ended up with COVID and everything. He, his site canceled on him, so he ended up in a pediatric rotation, and mm. his previous one was in was in adult hands. Um, and so he really didn't have an interest in pediatrics. But he just said to me, like, I'm glad that this happened. Because it pushed me out of my comfort zone, it's really helped me understand the coursework a lot better, and I'm going to be a better therapist because of this experience. Mm,
0: that's good. Yeah, that's and I,
1: I mean, honestly, I wish that would have happened to me in my clinic, my clinical rotations, because again, like I said, I've never seen pediatrics, and now I'm, you know, 11 years into my career, and I can't go back and be a new grad. Yeah. You know? But as a student, you sure can.
0: Uh, that's great. Mm-hmm. I well, and I think. Uh, going along with that is like OT is so broad. Yes. Like there's not just like, I'm going to be an OT and this is what I'm going to do. Right. Is this one thing? There's so much that you can do. And it's depending on your population. It's like the way that you approach the therapy is different. It's still OT. You know, the, the goals are still all very similar, yeah. helping people reach independence and function on their own. But
1: and, and that's where actually when I talk about pediatrics, uh, pe- my mentors have said to me, you could go and pick up pediatrics and be fine because you know how to interact with patients and families yeah. and establish a plan of care and all of that. It's just, you know, go to a couple of continuing education courses to get briefed on the assessments, maybe different intervention strategies, things like that, where it's not too late because it like you just said, it is. The foundation is still there of Mm -hmm. how we're working with people. Yep. It's just a new context. And actually one of my, my old mentors back when I was a new grad therapist, you know, she gave some awesome advice of, you know, if you ever get bored in your career, it's your own fault. Like Mm -hmm. she's like, I mean, she worked in hands, she worked in peds and she was an awesome neurotherapist. You know, where she had said, like, the moment I felt like I mastered my job was the moment I kind of had this itch to go and test myself in another oh, area and really expand her skill set, which puts a lot of us out of our comfort zone. Yeah. You know, But it was a cool thing to hear from her where she, you know, she had a long, long, long career and she's like, I never got bored in my job. And if you do, that's your own fault because yeah. there's so many opportunities to work in so many different ways and, and find that fulfillment and that freshness. And, and maybe that's a great way of kind of coming back around and avoiding that burnout.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Brittany, thank you so much for taking time to, to talk to me today. Absolutely. Thanks um, for having me. Is if, is there anything else that you would like to talk about or like to cover or something that we missed or?
1: I think that that covered a whole variety of yeah. topics I didn't anticipate, but really, really good ones that apply yes. to up and coming OTA students that are going to progress into becoming OTA clinicians.
0: Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much.
1: Yeah. Thank you.
0: All right. That is it for this episode of the podcast. I really want to thank Brittany Peterson for being our guest this week. I also want to thank Pocatello Running Company for sponsoring this episode and uh, if you have any questions or comments about the show, um, you can email me at OTA Aspirations at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at OTA Aspirations Podcast. I look forward to seeing you all in the next one.